concluding today uh, a season, almost two weeks of prayer and fasting. And I just thought I'd share a message on prayer, just to encourage us and to lift our hearts. And I've simply entitled it Prayer from the Heart. Because we all deal with the uncertainties of life. And even in this COVID season, it's been exacerbated. And it almost feels like at the moment, just when we thought it was safe to go back in the water, uh, there's various other outbreaks and they've been managed well, so there's no need for paranoia. But it just adds that level of uncertainty, that kind of what I've been calling a COVID drag. And then there are people who are dealing with life situations, whether family members overseas who are facing serious illness or other things or a circumstantial thing in your own life or financial. There's just stuff that can cause people to feel at times a little bit panicked, at times a little unsure of what's coming next. And I love that the Bible doesn't dismiss those fears and say, well, just have faith as if it were an answer to everything. And in a sense, faith is an answer to everything, to everything. But it doesn't mean the denial of your humanity or of your emotions. And Psalm 61 verse 1 to 2 is an outstanding declaration from the psalmist. He says, hear my cry. It's more than just a prayer. It's a cry. Hear my cry. Oh God, attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I will cry to you. And when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. And there's no rebuke coming from God that in this moment, this man of faith, in faith coming to God, but says, God, right now, I just feel like my heart is overwhelmed. And my cry comes to you, my prayers before you, hear it because my heart is overwhelmed. And then lead me somewhere, take me somewhere. And I love that thought, to a rock that is high and high, pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer is a complicated thing for many of us. And for one or two of you who go, I don't know what you're talking about, just pray for the rest of us while we try and work our way through this, you know. But prayer is such an important thing to faith. And it says in Luke 11 verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. When he catches, they're watching Jesus pray and they go, that's different. That's not the way I thought prayer worked. That's not the way I thought you talked to God. And when he's finished, they come to him and said, can you teach us to pray, to talk to God like you were? The first followers of Jesus, according to Max Licardo, said needed prayer guidance. In fact, it's the only tutorial they requested specifically. They said, teach us to pray. That they observed, nobody did say, teach us to do a miracle, even though they witnessed so many. It was teach us to talk to God the way you talk to God. And we're unsure about prayer at different times and perhaps the seasons where you feel more confident about prayer. But sometimes we're not sure how to pray. Like in this circumstance, how should I be praying? Here's one and don't put your hands up because... And just receive this. 
We, we get bored and distracted while we're praying. I know it's never happened to any of you that suddenly you found your mind wandering off onto something else and you got distracted by something else and you're sitting there thinking, oh, I just need to go and do this quickly and then I'll come back to pray. Thirdly, we think that our requests are too small for God. In fact, I think the enemy comes to us with a lie that goes, what you're praying about is too small or what you're praying about is too big for God. He never ever tells you whether what you're dealing with is just the right size. And the reality is nothing's too small and nothing's too big for God. And then there's that nagging doubt, perhaps in the back of our minds, where we wonder, will my praying make any difference at all? And we struggle with these doubts, these uncertainties. And yet over and over again, the Bible, God invites us to pray. He says, call to me and I'll show you great and mighty things. And prayer at its very heart is about a conversation, communication with God. And that's why he invites us to pray. The foundation of the, yes is to get prayers answered for our pleas to be heard on high. But more than anything, it's about having a relationship with the living God. If you look across human history and across all faiths, prayer plays a prominent part in the human experience. However, and I make this clear distinctive, however, as followers of Jesus, we ought not to pray like the rest of humanity. And in fact, Jesus speaks specifically to this in Matthew 6, verse 7 through 8. And he said, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Have you ever had that thought? I need to find some more words to convince God. And he said, you don't need many more words. You just need to be talking to me with real words. Stuff from the heart. When your heart is overwhelmed, hear my cry, O oh God. Because they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need of before you ask him. And you go, well, why do I need to ask him? Because he wants a relationship. He wants a conversation with you. And so I'm going to give you a few pointers that I'm not going to solve every question you have about prayer, but I think come to the very heart of what I'm trying to communicate this morning. And the first thing, and it's a big one, is to pray with honesty, to pray real prayers, not religious prayers. And it's like we talk one way to our friends and to others, and then we come to God and suddenly the language is a bit more affected. Uh, we more re use perhaps more religious terms. And prayer is real. It's meant to be from the heart. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, I'm crying out to you. I'm talking to you about what's going on inside of me. Psalm 5, verse 1 to 3. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. The word lament there means my sighing, my groaning, my sadness. Have you ever had a moment where you feel that overwhelmed about what's going on or the enormity or the loss that you're facing, that, that the best thing you can do is sigh. You're trying to find words. Well, that's a lament. And he, God hears that, that honesty, that re realness in your prayer. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. To you I pray. 
In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Now, there's a thought that anticipating that God might say something to you. Tim Keller, speaking on prayer, said this, encouraging us to go to the Psalms to learn how to pray. He says, the Psalms, in a sense, give you permission to pour out your complaints. Now, there's a thought, complaints. The Psalms, in a sense, give you the permission to pour out your complaints in a way that we think inappropriate if they weren't there present in the Scriptures. But on the other hand, the Psalms demand that you bow in the end to the sovereignty of God in the way that modern culture would not lead you to believe. And I love that thought. You can bring your literal complaints, your groaning, your lament, your requests, your petitions. Yes, hopefully with thanksgiving, with praise, with worship, but you can bring the complaint before God and God's not gonna dismiss you. In fact, He encourages that real honesty. But at the end of the day, when you come through that process, you and I need to bow to the sovereignty of God and not just walk away indifferent and disconnected. The writer of Hebrews tells us something about Jesus' agony and suffering and honesty on the planet. And listen to what he says in Hebrews 5 and verse 7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered up prayers and pleadings. Prayers and pleadings. The agony of heart, being overwhelmed at heart with loud cry and tears. Jesus? Yeah. To the one who could rescue him from death. And the interesting thing, God didn't rescue him from immediate death because he died for our sins. He laid down his life. He wasn't rescued in that sense, but he was raised from the dead victorious. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. There it is. You can come with your cry, your loud tears and all the rest of it, but come with deep reverence towards God. But come honest. The, the second thing is to pray about everything. And again, I touched on this earlier that sometimes we think this is too small for God. This is too trivial. But we encourage to pray about everything. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, do not be anxious about anything. Now, we're not talking about you. We're talking about the person next to you because you never get anxious. It's the other people around you that are, you know. No, we all get anxious about things. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Isn't that a, such an open invitation that anything that causes anxiety is something that you should be bringing to God? And yet for some of us, we bottle it and it churns in our minds. For others, we go and pour our hearts out to our friends and there's a place for that, but we don't pour our heart out to God. And he says, now bring all of that to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice where you get the peace from. When you bring your anxieties as prayers, as petition, with thanksgiving, when you talk to God about everything that's going on in your world, that's when the peace of God 
becomes available to you. Eugene Peterson, just one of my heroes, the way he dealt with God's Word, some of the amazing books he wrote. And he says, we only pray well if we are immersed in Scripture. And the prayer book of the Bible is the book of Psalms. And our prayer would be immeasurably enriched if we were immersed in the Psalms. And again, I want to encourage you, perhaps in your devotional reading, that every so often you just drop into the Psalms and read some of those Psalms out loud. Perhaps do a little bit of research and find out the background. Why is David crying out to God and saying, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? But crying out, just find the words, listen to the things, and then listen to the praise, the adoration that comes along with it. John says this later in his first epistle, 1 John 5 verse 4, this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege which we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, in agreement with his own plan, he listens to and hears us. And that's why it's important to have your prayers shaped by the Word of God, to understand what were some of the great prayers, what were some of the great cries from different people, whether Elijah, Elisha, others, Moses prayed, Jesus prayed, the, the, David's prayers. Listen to their prayers and pray according to the Word of God to the best of your ability. So we need to pray with honesty. We need to pray about everything. And then there's an exhortation that makes us very uncomfortable to pray continually. Or one translation says, without ceasing. And right there we go, I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure that's going to be helpful to my life. Sorry, I can't cook dinner, sweetie. I'm praying. I'm sorry, sweetie. I can't vacuum clean. I can't go to school. I can't go to work. I'm praying. It doesn't mean that. Listen to where it comes from. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want you to see, if you're struggling to find God's will, a great starting point is to rejoice always, pray continually, come to that, and give thanks in all circumstances. And then you begin to find yourself anchored and centered in the will of God. So let me try and help with this pray without ceasing, pray continually. For the first, I think it's a disposition, an attitude of the heart that confesses our dependence on God. And that's the very essence of what prayer is, that, that our first response should be, God, what do you think about this? God, have you noticed this? God, can I tell you about what's going on here? That our, that's our first response. Rather than prayer being the last resort, it becomes the first response. And of course, we're not always going to get that right 100% of the time. But it becomes this habit that I call to God first before I go anywhere else. The second thing about praying without ceasing, I think it means that to pray about everything, and we've touched on that. To pray without ceasing means that our default attitude is always, Oh God, would you just see what's going on? Oh God, would you help with this? Lord, I call to you in this circumstance. It's again that first responder to what's ever going on in our world. And then the third one, which I think is more true 
to when where many of us sit or struggle with prayer is don't give up on prayer. To pray without ceasing is an exhortation. Don't give up on prayer. Don't ever come to the point in your life where you stop praying. Don't abandon the God of hope. Don't ever say there's no use in praying. I think that's what Paul is trying to get into our hearts, into our thoughts there. I came across somebody who said we need to push prayer. Now, I'm not going to go too big on this, but we all know something about push email, emails that appear without you even requesting them to come. Because behind it is the minute you open your uh, whatever app you use, the emails are there. You don't even have to request them. That's push email. It's hard to turn off. And he says we should have push prayer. And using the word push, pray until something happens. And I kind of like that. It's push prayer. I'm going to keep praying until something happens. It's an attitude that now how long this takes or how long I have to keep bringing this before God. I'm not giving up. And it's not an arrogance or I'm going to nag God into an answer. It's actually a hunger for the things of God. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 7 and following, keep on asking. And you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You'll get an answer. Which brings me to my final point. Is to listen for God's response. For many of us. We think of prayers kind of as a monologue and we've got our checklist of things we're going to go through. We talk to God. We even come with praise and thanksgiving. We offer up our prayers, our requests, but it's more of a monologue. But prayer is meant to be a dialogue. You're meant to be listening in response to what you've been talking about. And I think many answers in prayer come in the listening after we've done the talking, after we've brought things to God, when there's reflection, when there's anticipating an answer from God, when we're listening, when we're waiting on Him. And our society doesn't do that particularly well. We want instant answers. We get instant responses from Google when we search something up. What am I eating? And you get an answer. I haven't seen that word on a menu before. Many of you, you use it, your primary use of Google. What am I eating? <laughs> Should I be eating this? No, we won't go there. Lamentations, this book where the writer just pours out, Jeremiah pours out his heart before, good, he, before God. He comes to this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him, it is good that he waits silently. Let him sit alone and be silent. And I wonder how many answers are waiting in heaven right now for you, but they're waiting for you to wait before they can be delivered, before they can be brought to your mind, your spirit prompted to do something, to say something, to give something, whatever the case may be. Elijah fled from what was an extremely difficult situation after having a great victory. Read the story for yourself in 1 Kings 18 and 19. 
and he flees to the desert and he's hiding in a cave, fearful for his life. He's exhausted emotionally, physically, spiritually. And God appears before him and he says, what are you doing here? And so Elijah comes out of the cave, stands, as it were, in the presence of the Lord. And there's an earthquake and a wind and a fire that raged through the valley. And each time it says, and God was not in any of those. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, the Lord said, what are you doing here? And a conversation begins as God begins to direct him out of the cave, out of the darkness, out of the stress, into a new place where he anoints new people, empowers, and all the rest of it. It's an amazing story. But how many of you have missed the whisper because you're waiting for something spectacular? And God says, no, I just want you to wait, to sit silently for a bit and say, speak, Lord, I am listening. Jesus said an amazing thing in John 10, 27. My sheep listen to me. They listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Everyone who's ever said yes to Jesus, you can learn to hear the voice of your good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. The question I've got for you, have you made him your Lord, your Savior? Is he the shepherd of your soul? And if you haven't, you can invite Jesus to come into your life to be Lord and Savior. He paid the price. He accomplished everything that needs to be done for you to come into a right relationship with God. You don't have to bring anything except your request, your childlike faith that says, Jesus, I accept that you died on the cross for me, that you rose in great power so you could guarantee my salvation. And right now, I'm asking for it.